Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Castellanos, it's crept in. It's another horrible moment for Steve Clark. Jimmy Chara, Mabiala's Ford, Nishkona, and Mora! On the stroke of full time with the most spectacular and dramatic of rescue acts. Alexander Cannons and a breakthrough moment for the boys from the Bronx. Writing their own history. Six days on from their first ever piece of silverware. Now a first ever major trophy. Oh, yes, caught offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York, Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? There's a championship back in Gotham, Andrew. There sure is. NYCFC. Your 2021 MLS Cup champions in one of the most dramatic finals in league history. Whew. Good lord. The roller coaster ride that was that final. Man. Um, yeah, but but it was a slow bit if it's a roller coaster analogy we're going for, it was a slow build to the top of the hill, I'd put it that way. Yeah, that's true. I guess in some ways that final was almost a perfect microcosm of this postseason like it wasn't you know there were not exactly a ton of chances throughout that game it was you know nycfc and we'll get into all this grant wall is going to join us in a few minutes as well to talk more about it but uh you know it's not like the game was littered with chances nycfc got their goal but i I can't think of a ton of other opportunities that they had portland waited until 93 minutes and 54 seconds to get their goal but i can't think of a ton of other really quality opportunities that they had but the drama that's what this postseason delivered on it was not necessarily the highest quality of game after game but every game it felt like delivered the highest quality of drama and that was certainly on full display yesterday in portland it definitely was and and i think the, the we, we have to make note of the wind and the rain that definitely hampered things a little bit it makes the uh it makes the surface really slick the ball moved around a lot it was a there's also a factor that Portland didn't play very well for a lot of it and decided then that only when everything was on the line that they would have to do something. So that kind of that kind of had a big impact on the game too. But it was it was very dramatic. I thought extra time was really good. And I thought Portland should have probably snatched it in extra time. New York City seemed seemed shell shocked, but it uh, it didn't work out that way. It went all the way to penalties and um again, even in penalties. In front of the Timbers Army end, I thought Portland would prevail, but no. No, no, indeed. It was uh, it was NYCFC stunning the people there. I mean, they, they said it was a little over 25,000, obviously a sellout that was in attendance. If there was, I don't know, if there was like another three, four, five thousand more than that, it wouldn't shock me. That just is going to go like not reported in terms of standing room or in boxes or whatever. I mean, that place, uh, they delivered. I mean, for whatever for whatever we thought the game was, um, quality-wise, the atmosphere was, am I being prisoner of the moment in saying the greatest atmosphere a, a, a MLS Cup final has ever had? Uh, I, I don't know about 
that I'd have to I'd have to consult someone who can go back further in MLS cups than me. But the atmosphere well, was you're amazing. Not, well, well, you really only have to go back like nine years because in the in the world before, like at the neutral site MLS Cup finals, I don't know you'd you'd have a hard time. I think really challenging one of the atmospheres that you've had in the time since when they've been playing it at one of the team's actual venues. So it's like I'm trying to just kind of like I mean I'm sure I'm trying to remember Toronto I know they had some unbelievable ones Columbus Toronto obviously was, was Toronto great Toronto was very good um, and obviously then you know Atlanta yeah yeah um, but but that Portland is just by the very nature of the stadium by the very nature of the fans an excellent place to play soccer and to put a final in it was perfect and it's you know it's a soccer venue. I know it's had subs, ski jumping and baseball and everything, but it's you know it's you're you're close to the action. It's it's got that like kind of um, old school English ground with like three different sides to it, mm-hmm. and you know you're in on top of things. And and in, in some cases, and in the case of this final, fans were too close to things. You could argue, mm-hmm. but it, it gives that cauldron style atmosphere, and and Portland's supporters know how to bring it. Um, as did the traveling NYCFC support too. So that all that all is a heady mix for for a good final. I I wouldn't argue with you, Andrew, if you thought it was the best atmosphere. It certainly was. It certainly looked and sounded the part. It did. It really did. Let's roll through some of the big moments here, JJ. Of course, uh, we'll go right to the the first goal, Tati Castellanos. I mean, there's just no way to understate or overstate his importance to this team. Now, yes, they certainly they, they managed to get here through the Eastern Conference Final with him not available because of the the, uh, the red card that he received against New England. But, I mean, in a game that there just wasn't going to be an abundance of chances, Portland is tough defensively. They're going to play that kind of compact counterattacking style, and it's a set piece, and he finds a way to get his header on it, does what he's supposed to do, heads it down into the ground. Steve Clark, look, he should have done better. Uh, the goalkeeper. He's got to save it, Andrew. There's no I, way around I, it. I went, I went through that whole uh, excuse sandwich where it was like, well, you know, that's a tricky one. It's a, it's a difficult one for a keeper. It's coming at him. It's coming up off the surface, very close and underneath him. But the meat of the sandwich is he's got to save that if mm-hmm. he's a top goalkeeper, and he didn't. I thought the same thing, but you know, still credit to Castellanos for always just kind of being a part of of the action for them in attack and he got his head on it and he made it at least somewhat difficult on Clark and trickles through gets the job done the interesting thing for me about this goal was the guy who set it up because they spent almost 10 minutes I'd say on the broadcast uh leading up to this moment kind of stressing the condition that Maxi Morales seemed to be in and it almost started to reach a point, JJ, where you felt like at any moment you were going to see the camera pan down to the touchline and have the guy hold up uh, like the, that a substitution was about to occur, that Morales was really struggling, and yet he stayed in and he set up this goal with a perfect cross on the free kick. And it was, uh, you know, it was a well-deserved assist from a guy who I wasn't sure was even going to be able to be on the pitch at that point. Well, the delivery was so good because that's a swirling breeze as well. And to get it right onto uh, Tati Castellanos' head was was excellent. He's a, he's an absolutely class player. It wasn't really him that was struggling, though. It was his opposite creative number um, in Blanco who really made no impact in that game. And, yeah. and, and it was, apart from one cross where he got down the left-hand side, he, he really struggled and um, clearly not 100% fit. No, he wasn't. That was unfortunate for Portland. And he came off, I think, in the 62nd minute. Um, and maybe a sub that they, I mean, 
maybe they were just hoping, okay, he's that kind of guy who we only needs one moment, so let's give him every opportunity. Had they made that decision earlier, I wouldn't have blamed them for it. I don't know that it. You know, I don't Not an excuse for the way they played, though. They were they were very poor in this game. They they barely put passes or moves together until extra time, and certainly not until Diego Valeri came on. And and I even thought that Savarese left it a bit late to do that, but um, they burst into life in extra time, and maybe you can say for the for the the entirety of of the regular time, the fact that Blanco wasn't clicking, couldn't get on it. And they couldn't string passes together meant that that just as much as his his injury kind of impacted the way Portland wanted to play. Before we get to extra time, JJ, of course, we've got to stop and and marvel at what went on just before the final whistle blew. It was incredible. It's just it was just one of those moments where you felt like that building was just willing it to happen. Uh, Ninety three minutes fifty four seconds. It's the latest non extra extra time goal in MLS Cup history. Felipe Mora, you heard it in the open there, as John Champion called it. I, I, I do that thing sometimes when you get these unbelievable moments and these loud roars, JJ, where I just scroll through Twitter and just like try to find as many people as possible who posted videos from inside that ground just to hear yeah. what it sounded like through their phone. This was just one that I – this was from uh, – I saw this at M. Weaver PDX. This is Felipe Mora's goal. Just pure crowd noise. Incredible moment, just kind of one of those like you got to pinch yourself. Did that really just happen? Um, I think there was a couple of uh, NYCFC defenders, uh, Chanel in particular, who wanted to pinch the referee or do something even worse to him um, because he felt he was fouled in the lead up to that goal, and um, he spent most of the time. And I, I was so disappointed. Obviously, ESPN have to do this, but ESPN threw to an ad break. Uh, before extra time as it was it, re- it it just reminded me of like referees getting uh, screamed in the face and and chased around the field from from days gone by because Chanel was incensed absolutely incensed so yeah if you want to talk about that angle of it i would say he was right that he was fouled mm. and i feel that he had every right to react that way. Like, that's his, you know, he's a central defender. You could say that it's kind of his responsibility. Yes. Um, and that's his reputation in the biggest moment of his career, kind of like all of these things converging at once. He's look like they're showing the replay in the in the stadium. He's pointing at it in the referee's face to look at it and, like, I think if that happens pretty much any other time during the match, or as Taylor Twoman said, if that happens any in any other spot on the field, it's it's a foul. On Saturday, I agreed with you. I thought it was a foul. I thought Portland were extremely lucky. Even if it wasn't a foul, Portland were extremely lucky. But having watched it again, I, I, I'm okay with what the ref did. I think Chanel is caught. If you watch it, he's caught under the flight of a ball, um, the flicked on ball. And yeah, there's an arm from the Portland defend uh, from the Portland attacker, but that's not enough for me. It's it's really not. I mean, he's barreled into it like. <laughs> no, no, you no. If you watch that again, Chino is backing in under the ball, 
what's it, what's he supposed to do? He's got to compete for it. It is still a contact sport. There is an arm, but again, it's not enough for me, Andrew. He's got to be stronger. He's got to be better. He's got to be in a better position. And again, even after the ball breaks, there's three NYCFC players who could have reacted to that breaking ball in the box and didn't. Yeah, that's true. Look, I'm not so, taking so, it away from Portland. No, no, no. Uh, I, I honestly think I was okay with the ref letting that one slide. Remember, this is a game of gray areas. We've got to remind ourselves all the time that with VAR and whatever happens, there is still a lot of gray areas in, in this sport. Now, you can argue to me, anywhere else on the field, that's a, that's a free kick. Possibly it is. Maybe it is. Not always, though. And this is the one occasion where we're caught NYCFC in, um, in pretty dramatic fashion. Yeah, I think it just comes down to the fact that in these moments, they just let guys get away with more. Um, it doesn't mean that that's not a foul. That's part, that's I, part I just, of it. I just that's think part the, of it too, the, the game is not. refereed differently. Whether that And maybe different referees have different philosophies on that. I don't know. But clearly this one, who was it, Armando Villarreal, um, his philosophy was we're going to let more go. And by the way, that was his... In, in fairness to the referee, he was fairly consistent. I mean, there were probably a couple yellows that could have been handed out in the first 10 minutes of that game, and he chose to not allow cards or fouls to kind of dictate the way this game was going to be played and have guys tentative because they're on a yellow card. He let a lot go. So, so in fairness to him and fans who want to be critical to him, it shouldn't necessarily be shocking that he didn't call that uh, in the 94th on that final goal. But to me, I mean... I looked at it and I thought, yeah, that's that's Portland probably getting fortunate in that situation. But all right, I'm, it's these things are subjective. So I, I I wouldn't kill him. I wouldn't totally kill you for feeling that way. I just I thought it was a foul. Um, but what it what it turned out to be was probably the most. I mean, I I don't know. I'm trying to. I know I'm throwing out big hyperboles here, but it might be the most dramatic goal I've ever seen in this league uh, to have occurred in that moment when you just kind of when. If you're Portland, all hope is pretty much lost. This is just like the ultimate last ditch of last ditch efforts, and for Felipe Mora to be there and convert, it was incredible. Like I said, it was it's hard to believe what you were seeing. That took us into penalties, where Sean Johnson once again comes up absolutely huge for NY or for NYCFC stops two, including Diego Valeri. JJ, I was so close on my prediction. I said one one, and we go to penalties, and then I kind of had this script written for Valeri to come on as a sub and be the hero, and instead he's one of the guys whose penalty was saved. In extra time, I, I was close to... Well, I made two predictions. I thought NYCFC would shade it. They almost did. And then I thought if, if it was to be Portland, I thought it would be an extra time volley from outside the box from Valeri. He didn't have a volley, but he had a strike that he will want back. Yeah. Well, he um, was set up beautifully from about oh, yeah. 20 yards and out. Right in front of the goal, and he just got his foot completely under it and went up over the bar. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, no, it, uh, the penalties were... I, I honestly think, and I don't want to pile on, on Clark because because of the game he had and because of the first goal, but I, I thought he could have saved three of those New York City penalties. He really could have. The, the one that Talis Magno took has to be saved. I, I know it's hard to expect a goalkeeper to save a penalty. It's a really difficult position Sean, for them to be in. Sean Johnson managed it, you know. So, But the, we... uh, if you go back and look, I, I'm pretty sure it was Talis Magno's penalty. I, it was so weak. It was not really directed into the side netting or, or yeah. far from Clark. It just kind of slid underneath him with not a whole lot of velocity on it. I know maybe it's tough on, on wet turf, but I'm sure he would look at it and say, I should probably have saved that. Yeah, I um, think so. But Another, pro- but, another MLS final he'll want to forget. 
Yeah. Um, but props to Sean Johnson, MLS Cup MVP, saved two penalties in the shootout. He's the fourth goalkeeper to win MLS Cup MVP and the first since Stefan Fry in 2016. Um, who also we know what he did. Yeah, also after winning the title in a shootout. Um, Sean Johnson deserves this. I mean, 321 MLS regular season appearances, the most for a player before winning his first MLS Cup, second most for a player before making their first MLS Cup appearance behind only Jeff wow. Cunningham uh, at 344 before he got there with FC Dallas. Um, it's, he's just a guy that I'm happy for because he's been a really consistently good uh, goalkeeper in this league for a long time, and he's kind of like been in and out of the U.S. men's national team picture, but he keeps, you know, he's he's been consistently passed in terms of who they're going to go to, whether it be Horvath or eventually, you know, Stefan or Matt Turner that we saw this this past summer. And Sean Johnson has kind of been there. He's, he's in the setup, the third keeper. Um, but in some ways, I feel like for a guy who, barring injury, is probably never going to see that number one spot for the U.S., this was a nice, this was a, a, a very well-deserved validation for a real, for the great keeper that he is. I was happy for him. Yeah, definitely. It, he's a nice guy too. If you've if you've ever talked to him and spoken to him, he's he's just a guy who works at his craft. He's been in the league, like you said, a long time, and you know you couldn't feel even if you were uh, an opposition supporter or or neutral, you couldn't you could not feel happy for him. No. All right. Well, JJ, we said he'd be joining, and sure enough, here he is, one of the goats of soccer reporting and journalism. Subscribe, everybody. You should subscribe, both free or paid, to all his content, both writing, podcasting at grantwall.com. He was in Portland over the weekend for all the drama. It is Grant Wall back on the program now. Grant, what's up, man? How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? We're doing good. We're uh, we're still recovering from uh, the drama on Saturday out in Portland. Uh, we were talking just now about Sean Johnson, but I want to switch gears for a second and start with the manager, um, Ronnie Dyla. Uh, I don't know just how popular his appointment was. It felt like it took a while to get the NYCFC fan base on side. You saw his face when that match went final and the tears, what it meant. Uh, from a reputation standpoint, was there anyone on that field yesterday that this meant more to than him? Good question. You know, I, what I can tell you is it's a huge moment in his career um, to come to this country and coach to win a first title for New York City and for a team in New York to win an MLS title, because I know City's only been around since 2015, but like New York has been a graveyard in MLS. And compared to the NASL days when the Cosmos were such a dominant team that MLS was basically set up to counteract that, um, it took a long time, 26 years, for a team from New York to, to win an MLS Cup. And so do I think Ronnie Dyla deserves a ton of credit for his role in that? I do. Um, and I think New York City deserves a ton of credit for changing their strategy from the way it was at the start, which was basically sign big name players from Europe in their 30s to we're going to do this a totally different way. And we're going to get a coach who goes along with that and can build a team. But we're going to sign mostly younger guys on the way up. We're going to have an academy that produces players that are effective for us. We're going to have you know, some veterans like Sean Johnson and in Dial, I think it took some, some work, right? Because it wasn't that long ago in September when this team won one out of 10 games. Mm -hmm. Right. And here they are MLS cup champions. It, it's, it's quite a story. Grant, can we 
talk a little bit about the importance of this for NYCFC because you touched on it there. We saw fans with banners saying "Dial you out" and "Dial you in," and it wasn't going exactly perfect. And I would argue this whole project probably hadn't been going perfectly for the last five, six years. How important was it, considering the backdrop to the stadium not having their own ground? How important was it that they got this done this year? I think it'll be interesting to ask that question once we know about the stadium situation in the mm. next year or two, hopefully. Right. And did that, did winning a championship help finally get the stadium situation over the line? Because I don't know. I kind of hope it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and how much more relevance does New York city gain in New York city by winning a title? Because I live here in Manhattan and mm. occasionally you've seen examples over the last few years of what I would call relevance. But a lot of times you have it. And so does this help with that? Does winning a championship help with that? Because the Cosmos not only won championships, they did it with world superstars. There are no world superstars on New York City. And so I'm still... I don't know the answers to all of these questions. I mean, can, how much relevance can this team gain? But winning a title can't hurt, right? No, no. And I, 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 sorry, Andrew, to cut across you there, but and I want to keep this in New York just for one second longer, Grant. But if you were considering, if you were the GM, say, of uh, the Red Bulls right now, are you very concerned that everything, the the whole kind of uh, vacuum of interest now is going to the the suction is going to be all in the Bronx and things are going to go very badly for uh, Red Bulls or what changes do you make? Do you change your model? What do you do to regain some relevance yourself? I think the Red Bulls have a lot of work to do and they're going to be asking questions and their fans are going to be asking their own club questions now about, look, whether it's been the Metro stars or the Red Bulls, this team has been in this league since 1996 and we have not won an MLS cup. We won supporter shields. So that's something. And I don't want to diminish that, but it's not the same thing as an MLS cup title and Red Bulls fans are going to want to see results. I think this puts a lot of pressure on the Red Bulls brass to, to do things the right way and, and get the results. And we've gotten the feeling over the last couple of years with the Red Bulls that, you know, they, they, they really, they've been, you know, they've sold some players, some young players to European teams. They've, they've helped the Leipzig mothership um, with a coach and a player, player still there. Um, and in, I think what Red Bulls fans want to see is let's win. And, and now look at what New York city's done. It's interesting, though, because like the philosophy of the New York Red Bulls isn't that different from the philosophy of New York City, right? Because they went away from the big star signings. They want to develop young players. They've succeeded doing that at times. And they're using data analytics, things like that. And And I do think that the city football group mothership data and scouting system you know, that's really helped New York City. You know, when you look at the players that have identified and signed for this team. So that's what's interesting to me is, I mean, like, if you're a Red Bulls fan, I understand if you're angry today. And yet the the overall strategy is not that different from what City's doing. Yeah, and in talking about that, you know, 
NYCFC are the perfect club to talk about this with because you know the splash that they made when they came in via Lampard, Pirlo, even their manager Patrick Vieira was a big name as a player and and now a manager in the Premier League. Um, Seeing the way NYCFC, though, went on and did this and won this trophy when they weren't able to really achieve anything with those great players who were past their prime, is this just further validation that if you want to succeed in this league, this is the way you do business? I think more or less, yes. You know, it's not every year, right? But, you know, I look at how Atlanta won an MLS Cup, similar strategy, sign young South American players on their way up. Maybe they're on their way to Europe. You can certainly see Tati Castellanos doing that before long. Mm-hmm. Uh, even other players on, on New York City. Um, LAFC didn't, hasn't won a championship, won a supporter shield. Somewhat similar strategy, right? Um, and that's different from the sort of last era of MLS that was really successful, which I would consider to be the LA Galaxy under Bruce Arena winning titles. Where that was, sign David Beckham and Robbie Keane and have Landon Donovan and a good supporting cast. That's changed, I think, for the most part in recent years. And I personally don't mind that. Um, It's interesting to see that teams like the Galaxy have continued to follow that strategy, though, signing Zlatan and Chicharito. and, And I like variety. But I think if I were starting a team in MLS and wanted simply to win trophies... I would do what Atlanta and New York City have done. Grant, I, I have to be the guy to do this. It's just in my nature. Um, and you know what's coming here. So you're looking at the the, the plinth at the platform and you see Fern Soriano out on the field. And you, th- and you think, oh, hang on a second. And you see basically the, the mastermind or, or the top guy in the city football group. And you ponder that for a second. And then you go to your Twitter and you see Bob Williams... City Football Group now has four reigning champions in four different men's top flight leagues, the EPL, the Indian Super League, the Australian A-League, and now Major League Soccer. And you think of all of that, and you ask yourself, is this a good thing? Good question. You know, I mean, I'm sitting here one year out from a World Cup in Qatar Mm. and seeing some of the year out coverage and it's pretty wildly varying depending on what you're seeing. You know, if you're reading the guardian, you're seeing stories about workers' rights. If you're following Fox sports rights holder, you're seeing dune buggies in the desert and what a great country this is to come visit. So um, it's interesting that the Abu Dhabi grand prix was this past weekend, right? You saw a lot of people going there, including people affiliated with city football groups being there. And so you realize that sports is being used a lot by countries, regimes in the Middle East, around the world to try and look good. And it depends on where you are. For me, all of it's fair game. So like, including what the Guardian's doing, by by the way, (laughs) Uh, very much so, because um, it's interesting. I, I spent a long flight yesterday from Portland back to New York, sort of catching up on, on the journalism that's been done on the various Middle Eastern countries and their connection to sports, because obviously we see Saudi Arabia being heavily involved with owning Newcastle United now. Um, 
And and just for me, like I wanted to sort of catch up on what's out there. Like, has Qatar actually really improved in the last 10 years on how they treat migrant workers? You know, what do we know about um, Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates? Um, you know, what about Saudi Arabia? You know, they're killing Washington Post columnists. So I think we should be talking about this stuff and you should be asking that question because it doesn't completely take away my enjoyment of watching the World Cup next year or um, or even, you know, covering cities, teams in various places, winning titles. But it, in my opinion, it should all be certainly part of the conversation. And mm -hmm. so if you're at a news outlet and you're refusing to talk about this stuff, to me, that's bad. Grant Wall joining us here on Caught Offside. Um, Grant, going back to uh, the game over the weekend, you know, with this win for NYCFC, of course, history is written by the victors. Um, but you know, it, it does bear mentioning that they went to New England when the Revs had 23 days off between matches. Uh, they went to the, to Philly when the Union had 11 players in COVID protocol. I mean, were they fortunate along the way to have been at this point? I think they lucked out with the Philadelphia situation. For me, it's hard to say they lucked out by having to go to New England and, and win there against that team. Um, I do think the MLS format could be tweaked. We haven't seen a number one seed make the final and it's they're 0 for 6 in this current play, playoff format. Um, so it seems like there is a bit of a, a punishment of having to be off for so long if you're the number one seed. But for me, that's a much different situation than the one we saw in Philadelphia, um, where they were literally missing almost their entire team, starting team, due to COVID. But in the end, you, you have to win games. You have to beat the team that's in front of you. And in city went on the road and did that in both these games. So uh, for me, there's no taint, you know, tainted situation in any way, shape or form. Um, you know, they, they did what they needed to do to win the title. Grant, uh, we've got to talk about Portland. Um, considering how much better they were in extra time, did Savarese get it wrong for most of the 90 minutes where they struggled to, to string any passes together or get any moves going? Or was it just because NYCFC were shell-shocked after the, the late, late equaliser and that carried into extra time? I was disappointed with how Portland played in the first 90 minutes. Mm. Uh, and I thought Dyrone Espria, I want to put it all on him, but I thought he had a brutally bad game. And frankly, I know he has a good playoff history, but I, don't, I was surprised he started. You know, Moreno had a really good game in, in the semifinal against Salt Lake. I thought he added a lot when he came on in, in the final. And, and Portland was the better team in extra time. But, um, yeah, it, it was a strange one. And I do think Savarese got it wrong in that sense. Um, and I think he should be disappointed, really, with just that, that 90, first 90 minutes. They didn't create no. much in the way of chances no. and they had everything in their favor you know the home crowd the you know just so much in that stadium was pretty incredible just to feel you know the vibe from from the start you know through the whole thing really and and this sport being what it is they still find a way to get the goal if you know in the 94th minute so 
it, it's it's at that point I would have said eighty percent chance Portland wins this game, and even though they were better in extra time, they they couldn't get the goal, and then you go to penalties, and it's kind of like you know you never know what might happen then. Is that the best MLS Cup final atmosphere you've experienced? Because it it certainly seemed on TV, despite the weather, it seemed to be really what MLS Cup final should be. Yeah, best one I've ever experienced. I've been to 19 of the 26 wow. now. And, and I do think that I like the the change a few years ago that allowed a team in the final to host it. It made the regular season performance matter more to earn the right to do that. Yeah. And just for the way the final feels, it was it was great. I remember being at the 2010 final in Toronto between Colorado and Dallas. And that was like the worst environment for a final ever. It like like it was half full, it was cold, bad soccer. And I think that was the moment that the league said we gotta make a change here. And they did to their credit. Yeah. I mean it guarantees an incredible atmosphere every year. And it looks great on television. Like it's just I think it was the right move. This is putting you on the spot, but you know, you've been to a lot of these, like you just said. Try not to be a, the king of hyperbole today, but the Felipe Mora equalizer, 93 minutes, 54 seconds. Most dramatic moment you've seen in MLS? It's so funny because I write my my three thoughts at the final whistle. And in games like this, a lot of it gets torn up, right? And so <laughs> I, I had written literally my first paragraph, if Portland had won, Mora's goal, most dramatic moment in the history of the MLS final for me. And I realized that there were three, I even did the research during the game. Like there were three golden goals when that was still in effect that won a final in the history of the league. And the best one was actually the very first final, the Eddie Pope one for DC United in 1996. And DC was down to LA 2-0 in that game in the second half. Coming back, you know, they come back. Pope gets the golden goal in a total rainstorm, even worse than the one on Saturday. That would be pretty close. But then the other two golden goals, like Carlos Ruiz for LA in the 2002 final against New England, that was a terrible game. And the year before that, Dwayne Di Rosario had one for San Jose in the final that was in between the two I just mentioned. But for me, the, like given the 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 home crowd um, for Mora's, given the way it came about, if they'd won the game, that would have been for me the most dramatic moment in MLS final history. Uh, Grant, one more for me, and it's changing gears a little bit, but I mean, the U.S. men's national team is just, they're such a giant right now here in this country in this sport. So uh, we had Taylor Twelman on uh, recently. I'll ask him the question, or I'll ask you the question we asked him. You know, we're a little more than halfway through qualifying. How are you feeling? Are, are they meeting expectations, exceeding expectations, falling short of expectations? How do you take the temperature right now of this side? You know, for me, it all comes down to, especially given what happened last time, qualify for the World Cup. You know, and like once you get there, then you worry about how you do. And they're on track to qualify for the World Cup. So is it a straight line upward? No, it's not at all. And so there have been some performances that have been bad. You know, I was, I've been to every one of these games on site. So the one in Panama was brutal, just a brutal game, that loss. Um, even the performance against Jamaica was not good, the last game. And yet they're on track to qualify. 
And so um, I, I do feel like, you know, the performance against Mexico was, was good. I think this team has a high ceiling. They just need to get closer to it on a more regular basis. And, you know, like I, I've been to so many qualifiers at home and on the road over the years that I know fans get frustrated on the road in CONCACAF qualifying when the U.S. doesn't win games that you think they should win. And I've seen some really good U.S. players over the years do the same exact thing. And so uh, will there come a day when the U.S. goes to Jamaica and wins pretty easily? Maybe. Hasn't happened yet. Um, and, and we'll see if they can get to that level. But it's such a different thing than actually going to the World Cup itself because the opponents are going to be completely different there. And I actually think this U.S. team is capable – of playing well at the World Cup. Um, and I think that's just a totally different thing than CONCACAF qualifying. Uh, Grant, before we let you go, I need you to do two things for me. The first one is to generate a rumor and then <laughs> respond to a rumor. So let's do the generating a rumor part first. Uh, your, your, your friend, uh, Jesse Marsh, uh, his position since he parted ways with uh, Orby Leipzig, where do you see him landing? Uh, what do you think is next? What is your gut on him? And the second part is where I want you to respond to a rumor, and that is obviously Christian Pulisic to Barcelona on loan. Uh, what do you think are the chances of that uh, coming to pass? I mean, I should say, like, because I do sometimes report insider stuff, I don't have any insider knowledge on either of those things right now so this is just me talking uh i've known jesse marsh since i was 18 years old we went to college together i'm friends with him i i don't hide that in in what i write about him or say about him um and for me i think he is going to stay in europe for his next job uh he said far too much publicly over the years about u.s players and coaches in his opinion need to test themselves at the highest level possible that's why he's in Europe. That's why he's done that. And so a four-month stint at Leipzig is not going to deter him from that and send him back to the United States, even if LAFC wants him. Um, I think he wants to be a head coach, not an assistant coach again. That's why I don't see him joining Ralph Rangnick's staff at Manchester United. It could possibly happen, but I just doubt it. If you remember when, when Jesse was – let go or parted ways or however they described it in Montreal from his first job back in like, was it 2013? Yeah. Um, you know, he got a severance there. Like he got from Leipzig. He took a lot of time before he coached again, you know, and he wanted to be a head coach. He got that job eventually with the Red Bulls, but it was like two years later. And so I think he's going to be selective about what he does next and I think he's going to get opportunities. I don't think this Leipzig situation has ruined his reputation in Europe. I know that he's gotten a lot of interest even before he got the Leipzig job from other places outside the Red Bull system in Europe. So Dortmund, Wolfsburg, Leeds United had a real interest in him. Um, so we'll see what that ends up being next for him. But I, I think that's what I'm expecting. Um, in terms of Pulisic and, and Barcelona, 
I mean, yeah, I don't have any knowledge, insider knowledge, but like I know Barcelona, like several clubs in Europe is trying to get bigger in the States. Um, I think that might've even had a slight influence on their requir- requiring Serginho Dest when they did, even though now it looks like he might be on his way out. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think he made a bad decision, by the way, because he could have chosen Bayern Munich or Barcelona and for some reason chose Barcelona, I guess, because he has this kind of infatuation lifelong with the club Barcelona. But I thought that was a poor decision by Dest in the first place. Mm. Um, for Pulisic, you know, like just too many injuries over the last few years. And so he, whatever he does, he needs to be playing. He needs to be healthy wherever that is. And if it ends up being Barcelona and he can actually play great. I I do notice that at Chelsea, it's been, you know, even when he hasn't been hurt, it's been hard for him to get a run of games in the same position. Um, And Every year, I kind of say with Pulisic at Chelsea, like this is the year he needs to be on the field just about every game and, and putting up real numbers. And and then the injuries come and he doesn't do it. So I I, I don't want to sign too negative. If he won a Champions League uh, with Chelsea, he scored a really nice goal in the Champions League semifinal at Real Madrid that mm-hmm. sent them on their way. Um, but overall, I think the dominant feeling I have with Pulisic and Chelsea is frustration. Yeah, that's that's probably true. Unfortunately, you're right. Wherever he goes next, just you just want something consistent where he can get a consistent run of games in, and like you said, be at the same position, and uh, hopefully kick on and stay healthy for uh, for the World Cup and the rest of qualifying. Grant, great stuff, man. Like we said, check him out, GrantWall.com for a, a subscription to all his content there, writing, podcasting. I saw you just had a, a piece go up on the guy we were talking about right before you came on on Sean Johnson. So I look forward. Uh, to checking that out as soon as uh, as soon as we're done here. Grant, good stuff, man. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Take care. Our thanks to Grant Wall. Good stuff. Uh, good stuff from him. What a thing to have been at. Jeez, I just keep thinking about that. Um, yeah, and for him to confirm your belief that that was the the best MLS Cup final in terms of atmosphere and the most dramatic with the uh, Mora goal at the end. I mean, it sounds like hyperbole when you just say these things one after another. Like, I, I know what it sounds like when it's coming out of my mouth. Oh, he's just, you know, prisoner of the moment. No, and you are prisoner of, of the moment on this podcast. I don't, I don't know if that's always true. I but, think you are a little bit. Um, but, like, it, this is a situation. It's, it's the latest regular time goal ever scored in an MLS Cup final. And it's in a venue that is notorious for how raucous an environment it creates even in July as opposed to an MLS Cup final. Like both of those things, I think, hold up. Um, but you know, just an unbelievable, uh, an unbelievable viewing experience, at least uh, the final goal and extra time penalties. It was, it was good stuff. JJ, I saw a, um, I don't know if you call this a stat or, or what, but I guess just an interesting note. So according to Vivid Seats, where you can you know buy and sell tickets, this was the most in-demand MLS game ever with an average price of a sold ticket at, you want to guess what the average price was on Vivid Seats? No, go ahead. $752. The average price. Average, to get in the building. This is that the was secondary the market. Yeah. I guess on their website. I mean, I don't know if there's others. If you could have gotten on SeatGeek or StubHub or whatever, but <laughs> I would. I mean, I that's enjoy the average. Watching, I would enjoy watching it on TV. That that average is is toward a certain that would appeal to a certain fan. So here here's yeah, but I mean, you saw who was in that building. It looked like that was not just like you know the. Uh, 
that was like everyone. That was all Timbers fans. Like the videos yeah. that I saw from in the ground, it didn't look like it was just like people in suits. No, um, no, no. That's not what I meant. I meant Timbers obsessives, uh, oh, people okay. like that. You know, even I thought if you I meant in- just like the most, like the one percent. You know, the, no. the top tenth of the one percent. No, no, no. Um, you know, I, I wonder too. Thinking about that. So let's say you're a Timbers fan. You paid that money. Like, let's say you paid, you went a little bit above that, like, and you paid eight hundred dollars. Uh, if you just went with like you and and your son or your daughter, sixteen hundred. You paid almost, you know, almost two thousand dollars to be there and see your team lose in that kind of fashion. Is it still worth it for having witnessed the Felipe Mora goal and just like always having that memory of what that felt like in that moment? Or does does the eventual loss and penalties just make you look at at your checkbook afterwards and think, Good lord, what did I just spend that money on? Well, I've been in this exact situation. Um going to Kiev for the Champions League final. Right. And um <laughs> not just having to endure defeat to a, a fairly famous um Real Madrid team. Uh, I had to endure a meltdown from the goalkeeper. Right. Uh, but but the moment that uh, Sadio Mane equalized, that was that moment will live with me forever. Yeah. Imagine if that was in the ninety fourth minute. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and then, of course, I'll never forget on on the flip side to that. I'll never forget how silent uh, the stadium was when uh, when Gareth Bale scored that. It was like silent for three seconds. Scored a bicycle kick because everyone was trying to figure out what's happened. <laughs> and then the Madrid end just explodes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and again, it was similar to Portland in that Liverpool fans were in the in the vast majority at that game too. So, um, but yeah, I wouldn't. Look, that's that's live sports. Mm-hmm. You, you pay a huge amount for your ticket as I did and as some Portland fans did, you were always rolling the dice. But you, it, you don't just don't make it that transactional in your mind, right? But it's sometimes it's. it's I remember I I dropped some money when I was in college to go to the Final Four when I was a student in at Syracuse when they won the championship. Oh God, and yeah. So, and so I remember being there, and we're walking into the semifinal, and I remember thinking like all the money that had spent on tickets and flights and, and like everything, hotel just to get there, and then thinking like okay like. If we at least win tonight, then it's it's kind of worth it. At least we get a full weekend out of it, like a full trip, and and we can be excited for another day before the championship game. If if they had lost right out of the gate, like the first day we were there, then it's like, oh, like well now like now the weekend's ruined, and you kind of just want to like sell your remaining ticket and go home. But yeah, you can't sometimes the money you can't help JJ, but just kind of no, I I don't look at it that way. The money is not. You know, I don't. I don't come out. I, if I really care about this team the way you care about Syracuse, I'm. I'm coming out afterwards. I'm disappointed. Yeah, is there a hole in my pocket? Yeah, but so what? That is just no, the I price don't. of doing business. Do I wish that people wouldn't gouge and that tickets wouldn't go through the roof for these events? Yeah, of course I do. But hey, it's, I, it's a free market, baby. Oh yes, it definitely is. Trickle down economics and all that. Uh, final thought on this: I mentioned with Ronnie Dyla with uh, with Grant there. I am happy for him, and I that- like him. I I've interviewed him uh, right before COVID really took over, and and um, and he was a very nice guy. Uh, you know, coming out of Glasgow Celtic, even though he had won trophies with Celtic, um, and done very, I mean, relatively speaking, done well there. There was a sense, you know, when he was sacked by Celtic that maybe maybe he's not. 
not that good of a manager, but I actually think what he's done with this NYCFC team, and I didn't see it as a fit because I wasn't sure they were going to play exciting football. I thought it'd be a bit more pragmatic, but you know, when, when they turn it on, they're the best team in the league, and they proved it at the weekend. Yeah, they certainly did. So props to him. Props to all of NYCFC and their fans. They had a lot of fans that made the trip all the way out west from New York to Portland that were there that got to witness that. They got to witness Ronnie Dylan be a man of his word afterwards and strip down to his underwear. <laughs> that was... Good, you know, good for him. I was watching that and I laughed. I thought that was that was cool. If you're an NYCFC fan, I'm sure that was a fun moment. So uh, happy for all of them. Very, very yeah, cool. And um, you know, if if you're uh, someone who loves seeing middle-aged Norwegian men in their uh, in a, in various states of undress, this was a big weekend for you. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Our, our props to NYCFC this year's MLS Cup champions. Uh, there will be more to discuss as the offseason progresses. You know. We haven't talked very much about Portland. This was kind of an ode to NYCFC today, but we'll see if this was, in fact, Diego Valeri Swansong. If it was, which I assume it was, uh, one of the all-time greats from this league, uh, bows out in disappointing fashion, but what an unbelievable career he had in this league for that club. Um, So there will be a lot to talk about in the weeks and months to come. Uh, But for now, JJ, we're going to put it aside. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, there was an unbelievable blunder in Europe today regarding the UEFA Champions League draw. We have to talk about uh, about that. A little bit of uh, some of the action from over the weekend that I want to touch on. you got a mailbag as well, so there's still a bunch to do. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now on Caught Offside. So, JJ, I woke up early this morning and uh, I happened to catch that the, the draw – for the UEFA Champions League was unfolding pretty much as I awoke. And I, I was kind of following along on Twitter, and I, you could see it playing out, the, the bizarre situation with Manchester United eventually getting paired up with PSG, and then videos of their ball not being placed back in the pot for the Atletico Madrid draw. And next thing you know, all hell has kind of transpired and... Uh, there's yeah, outrage, so ba- outrage everywhere. So basically, how UEFA do it is that they have a computer that tells them which balls can be in this pot, which balls can be in that pot, which teams can't meet each other because they're from the same country or met already in the group stage, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All those permutations are in a computer, and they let the computer do it. But someone, <laughs> well, here's someone- what I have: the UEFA spokesperson, what he actually, how he describes it. All right. Well, okay. Following a technical problem with the software of an external service provider that instructs the officials as to which teams are eligible to play each other, a material error occurred in the draw for the UEFA Champions League round of 16. As a result of this, the draw has been declared void and will be entirely redone at 3 p.m. or 9 a.m. Eastern time here. Uh, That was according to a UEFA spokesperson. I guess if I were to translate that, it would be some dumb, dumb at a company that we outsourced this to screwed up and now we've got to do it all over again. Basically someone didn't realize that the per- uh, didn't realize the rules we have for what teams can play w- what other teams and we're in a bit of a mess now. And it's so funny though because Real Madrid are incensed. So Real Madrid got uh, they drew Benfica in the in the original flawed draw and then in the redraw they got PSG and so they are fuming, and their claim is that, hey, the, the part of the draw that was incorrect had nothing to do with us, you know? And so they're very angry. I should give the draw in full, though. Uh, PSG will play Real Madrid. Chelsea will play Lille. 
RB Salzburg will play Bayern Munich. Uh, Internazionale will play Liverpool. Uh, Atletico Madrid will play Manchester United. Uh, Sporting will play Manchester City. Villarreal will play Juventus. And Benfica will play Ajax, which is a interesting draw. It's all pretty... Well, not all of it interesting, but it was... They, they're so pole-faced, and they make such a song and dance about these draws. And they take forever to get to the point that it's so funny that they get it wrong. The one thing you have to get right, they get it wrong. Yeah, so a couple things. Um, first off, it, it had to be PSG that would some way be at the heart of this angering everyone. Like, no matter what, the only thing in this sport that you can guarantee is that like people are going to get mad about things that PSG are involved with. Um, Manchester United are mad they have to play him, then the draw is redone, and now Real Madrid are mad that they have to play them. And I guess if you're PSG, you just sit back and say, boy, people really fear us. This is, uh, this is kind of fun to watch everyone freak out over having to play us. Um, another thing I thought about this is that like, this was not just whininess from Manchester United. Like, this had to be redone. This could, this could not, be, in my opinion, this could not have been allowed to stand. No, it had to be integ- void. The integrity was because certain matchups were then off the table because it was, they were in the incorrect pots. It had to be redone. The integrity of the competition um, are. The integrity of the draw was really uh, at stake there. Now, there's an easy way that they could just draw it by computer and just release the draw. But then you'd have, in the world we live in right now, you'd have the guys who would not accept this. They need to see the balls being plucked. And even when they do see the balls being plucked, they're not happy. <laughs> well, no, not when it's not when it's like this, when it's wrong. I yeah. mean... But the one thing I would say, though, is Chinese government is a conspiracy now, in a conspiracy with PSG. And it's clear. It's absolutely clear what's happening here. Who was that an impression of? Alex Jones. <laughs> it's usually much more. Usually you do a better one than that. But just to be clear, though, your your problem is not that they do this, that it's a televised spectacle. It's it's that they do it in an old school way with ping pong balls. My problem with it is it's usually a drawn out flamboyant very, very, you know, uh, over-the-top event that could be done much, much quicker. See, I'm okay with it being a spectacle. Like, for me, I would say my favorite for, like, Ameri- for like college basketball selection Sunday is probably my favorite sporting event of the year that is not an actual sport. Mm. I, I love it. Like, I get so hyped for it. It's fun to just, like, see the matchup. So I'm okay with it being, a t- like, a televised event. I'm okay with that. We, uh, it, this... This always reminds me of um, just how basic it was back in the day. I think it was the 1991 League Cup draw, the English League Cup draw. Mm. And it was made in New York because St. and Greavesy were there, um, Ian St. John and and, and Jimmy Greaves. And they did the draw on their show with Donald Trump. Oh, I think we once played something from that, didn't we? I think we did. (laughs) <laughs> it's just it was Saint Greavesy Trump, who's like no clue who these two guys are, no, not a, not a notion in his head who they are, and him trying to get excited about oh Leeds United will play Sheffield Wednesday. It was the funniest thing, and it's just a bowl and some balls and an office in Manhattan. Keep it simple. Um, of the draw that that is now legitimate. Do you have a particular matchup that you're most intrigued by? I mean, obviously, PSG versus Real Madrid is the glamour fixture from this. Yeah, definitely. Um, Chelsea and Lille, that could be very, very interesting. Um, Atleti and Manchester United is going to be 
such a clash of of styles and it, I, you know it's so far away that we I wonder how far on uh, Ralph Rangnick will have taken this side in uh, this United side and how far on will they be with the on their on their coaching journey with him yeah. um, when they come up against the ultimate in S Housery and also a very good side with very very good players um, and Benfica and Ajax really interest me too um, Inter and Liverpool if you're if you're being completely honest you expect Liverpool to win that but um, there are very few matchups they could have where I would not feel that way right yeah and um, I mean again Bayern Munich's fans will get a chance to go against a a Red Bull of a of a different flavor, a slightly different flavor <laughs> in RB Salzburg. So um, that's got a lot of interesting connotations. Um, no, I, I'm very excited about it, but February 15th seems like a, a long, long time ago. Yeah. Chelsea-Leal was definitely the matchup of destiny as it was the only one picked for both the invalid draw and the valid draw. So yeah. take that for whatever it's worth. Uh, so yeah, we still got a couple months to go, but uh, the draw after a false start has now been made official. So when you're looking it up, if you couldn't remember the ones we just said there, make sure you you look up the the correct one with the correct matchups. Uh, a few talking points, JJ, from over the weekend across. Before your, we do, oh, before yeah. sorry, Andrew, to do this, I, I it's not on the rundown, but I did oh. notice it before we came on air. And um, Rob Dawson was reporting for ESPN, uh, United Manchester United that is are due to face Brentford on Tuesday. But that game is now in doubt. A statement issued by United on Monday read, Manchester United can confirm that following PCR test confirmation of yesterday's positive LFT COVID-19 cases among the first team staff and players, the decision has been taken to close down first team operations at the Carrington Training Complex for 24 hours to minimize risk of any further infection. So um, the club is in discussion with the Premier League whether it is safe for Tuesday's fixture against Brentford to continue, both from a COVID infection and a player preparation perspective. Team and staff travel to London will be deferred pending the result of that discussion. We are, we are, it's not quite what it was, but we are entering an era now with the uh, variant that um, the calendar could be thrown into disarray again. Yeah. So I was going to bring this up, actually. Um when we got to the Tottenham portion of this segment here, but we'll do it now while we're talking about it. Uh, yeah, my prediction is that Manchester United match, purely my own prediction, will not happen. I don't no. I don't see a route to that being able to go forward. Um, I know we have to keep an eye on Aston Villa as well, as there's been a re- reported um, outbreak. I don't know the exact size of the outbreak at this moment, but they have also reported positive tests. And, of course, Tottenham were the one that kind of I don't want to say got this started, but um, they had their match against Brighton postponed to COVID, uh, possibly Leicester City later this week, as it looks like it looked like Tottenham were starting to get back to some normalcy and be able to train again, but they had another uh, positive test today. Uh, So I would say their Thursday matchup with Leicester City is now being called into question. Of course, their uh, UEFA Europa Conference League matchup against Rennes was postponed and has been the subject of a lot of controversy. As it was the final group stage match, um, Tottenham needed to win it in order to advance, and there it was. This coincided almost directly with the the heart of their outbreak. So Tottenham basically took the action and said, "We can't play this match." Wren were not happy about this at all. Their statement that they released was pretty cold, considering Tottenham were dealing with kind of something like beyond the realms of what is normal, especially in these times, like when with COVID. There's a global pandemic going on, and Ren 
Wren were not having it. Uh, they seemed angry about it. It seemed like that match was going to result in a forfeit. Now it's unclear. It's just simply unclear as to what is going to happen at this moment. Um, I'll be honest. Whatever they, I don't know. I understand that there's important precedent here. Like we can make fun of the of the of the Europa Conference League all we want, but this is going to be an opportunity for precedent to be set as to how matters like this are going to be handled moving forward should it occur again. So I understand that UEFA has got to handle this carefully. And there yeah, are, there's they, this tight deadline because the, the rules are supposed to be that all group stage matches have to be played by December 31st. I don't know. If it's me and, and Tottenham and Wren can't find a date somewhere between these next couple weeks where that's possible, certainly for Tottenham as their matches are really piling up. Remember, Tottenham also have the snowed out game against Burnley that preceded all this. So they're going to have potentially, if the Leicester game doesn't happen, three games at hand, which is crazy. Um, I, I, aren't we, haven't we kind of realized that we're living in times here from a sporting perspective where like whatever the, the norms are, we, we sometimes have to bend those? Like, Does that December 31st number need to be held to such gospel? Like, I would think that something could be figured out where that game could be played outside of the the arranged dates. But who knows? Ren, it doesn't sound like are, are excited about having to... And look, I, it sucks for them. Like, they're the collateral damage here. But, you know, I guess, uh, I guess they prefer, prefer to forfeit and just move on with their, with their day, which I, I can understand. But I don't know. Just felt like it was kind of a cold response for them, considering there were in upwards of 13 positive COVID tests uh, that Tottenham were dealing with in that moment. We continue now, JJ. Aubameyang suspended for Arsenal. We've seen this story before. They have little trouble winning without him. Um, but once again, the captain of this club, JJ, has found himself in an uncomfortable position. And Mikel Arteta has found himself in an uncomfortable position having to deal with this. Yeah, considering this is what uh, Mikel Arteta told ESPN on Friday at the pre-match news conference. I have a very good relationship with my players. He was being asked deliberately about Aubameyang. Everyone has to understand that I always do the best for this club and for this team. And often, if that can benefit any individuals, I will always do it. The decisions are not personal. The decisions are just to get performance and the best out of my team. That's it. Obviously, when a player is not scoring, it's affecting his confidence. It's affecting the mood and probably the belief. But you have to rebel against this situation. Don't accept it and feel sorry for yourself. Um, And he was asked then about Aubameyang leaving. This is prior to what happened Um against Southampton really we have never discussed something like this and when players are under difficulty or the team is under difficulty we have to be what we have to be is supportive I wonder has that stance changed considering can you explain to me exactly what happened with Aubameyang Andrew he was he was he was away out of the country and because of COVID protocols that meant he couldn't play against Southampton. Is that correct? Or he was late in returning? Late in returning, which threw everything into and and they they simply had to had to had to leave him out of the ma- uh, the match day squad. Yeah, and Arteta said afterwards, I think we've been very consistent that we have certain non-negotiables in the team that we have set ourselves as a club and he's not involved today. It's not an easy situation and not a situation we want to have our club captain in. <sighs> Um, and, and, I, you remember wonder, the, and you remember the other time this happened, it was for the North London Derby. Yeah, it's just, it's it's really difficult for Arteta. And this is heading in the, in a bad direction. I mean, I think Aubameyang was already not thrilled that he was brought on as a sub, what was it, in the 85th minute against hmm. Everton. Um, you know, I'm sure he's a player who, and as captain of that team, I'm sure he's somebody who believes if I'm healthy, I play. 
Uh, and right now, him and this manager are not on the same page. Uh, and and Arsenal are in the tricky scenario of if we want to get rid of him, how do we? That's the problem. Because, like, I would say this is this is not going well. If they can find a way to get rid of him, maybe that's what would be best for all parties. But they just signed him to this contract. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what you can recoup for him right now. Like, what is his value? Uh, if you're going to send him on somewhere else. I don't know that Arsenal are a team that are going to be willing to take that kind of financial loss on this player that they just signed. Uh, Unless, uh, I mean, the suitors are what I think of. Real Madrid not in a position, and I don't think they want him. Um, Barcelona not in a position to do it. The other teams seem pretty much sorted. Uh, A move, a loan move might be a way to get him out of the club. Uh, When Newcastle United are in the championship, they're going to be paying unbelievable wages to get players in to get them up maybe that's a landing spot for him um i don't I know don't, i think it's done at arsenal for him honestly it, it kind of feels like that um yeah. but who knows he had gotten off to a, you know last season was terrible for him uh but this season he had gotten off to a decent start but now he's he's come in some bad form recently so i don't know i'm not sure that i'm totally willing to write him off completely what i will say is that Mikel arteta in my opinion, is handling this the exact right way. Like This is a club that is kind of in this transition, rebuilding phase. They've got a lot of young players. He has to send the right message to the young guys on that club, and he's got to hold guys accountable. Like That has to be part of what this Arsenal rebuild is about. Just and think so, what you're saying. Think what you're saying, though, Andrew. It's so much different when it's your, it's the club's highest-paid player and your captain. Well, oh, if, God. It, well, then that sends the ultimate message. Yeah, but of accountability. Forget messages for a second. You just don't want this to be well, happening. No, no, at of course all. not. But it is. But it. But if it if it's happening, if he's not reporting on time, yeah, Arteta is now in this position, and I think he's yeah. Maybe at other clubs, we don't know. Uh, maybe this happens at other clubs, and things are swept under the rug, and it you know it allows resentment and bitterness to kind of build behind the scenes. I, I don't know, but Arteta is he's got no he's not shy in in facing this head on. And that's not an easy thing, and I give him credit for doing it. I think he's handling it the right way. Uh, J.J. Everton, speaking of Arsenal, unable to ride the momentum of that memorable Arsenal win earlier in the week as they're knocked back down to earth by Crystal Palace. And oh. uh, from this one, I don't really have much on the on the Everton side of it. This has been the game. Like This has been building throughout the course of the season, but for whatever reason— uh, Connor Gallagher like has now kind of like this this felt like his moment where he is now broken through and is like part of the EPL mainstream with that performance. Uh, I saw whoscored.com gave him gave him a 9.83 rating. It was the best of the weekend. Just oh, he was inc- excellent. Incredible performance by this young player for them. Yeah, and I I will do the Everton talking then. Um Everton were disastrous. <laughs> Just really poor and and midweek you thought well, you hoped that the performance against Arsenal wasn't just like this performance of just grit and and get it done and, and force of will. You kind of hoped there was substance to it, but it really wasn't any more than that. Um, and as much as I defend him and, and, and I love the fact he came from my hometown club and has ridden the wave all the way to the top of the the top of English professional football, Seamus Coleman just had an absolute stinker. And Conor Gallagher's goal, which he took amazingly, was teed up from by Seamus Coleman. I don't know if you saw it, Andrew, but Coleman's trying to take a, a free kick and Schlupp is standing in the way. And Coleman drills the ball at Schlupp to try and get a 
you know, get it either get the ball brought forward or or get Slup booked or whatever. <laughs> and he just drives it straight through Slup into the middle, right in front of the box. It ricochets, comes to um, Connor Gallagher, who buries it. But it's like Col- James Coleman, another error. And he, he arguably had an error in the first Palace goal as well, where he his miss kick, uh, instead of clearing the clearing his lines, just... And that's your club captain as well, talking about club captains. Yeah. It's Everton error. I don't know. It's, it's, it's not getting better. Yeah, with Gallagher, it's going to be interesting to see what his future holds. And I know... He's he loves his time at Crystal Palace right now. He was clear on that afterwards. But he's Chelsea property. He's another one of these Chelsea loanees. Yeah, I mean Chelsea. The problem with Chelsea is where in in the you know maybe if 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 Pulisic was to move on, there'd be space for him. But in the in the pantheon of stars that they have, you know, he wouldn't get a game. It's hard. To, to it's get, hard to see it right now. It, it is hard to see it right now. Yeah. I, and. That's why maybe the rules need to be changed a little bit, that these guys can't be on interminable loans, that maybe he could go somewhere else and, and add to another team. Like the one he's currently at. Correct. Where he seems to be loving life. Uh, J.J. Steven Gerrard returned to Anfield, but leaves without a win, courtesy of Mo Salah. He did, yeah. Um, he may have said that there was claims for a penalty towards the end with uh, Danny Ings clashing somewhat with, with Allison. I- I'm not so sure. I think... You know, Villa were good. They were compact. They were difficult. Uh, they didn't offer a ton in the attack. I thought Liverpool could have, a couple of times, uh, could have cut them open and and um, and and really not left it to a one nil from a penalty. But uh, nevertheless, that's what it was. And um, yeah, not not much to say about that. It was a fine. No. It was an okay Liverpool performance. Um, and Villa were resolute. Not much more to it. One note on Salah, 23 goal contributions now. That's the most of any Premier League player through 16 match weeks in the last decade. Do you know who the next closest is in terms of goal contributions? And I'll give no. you a hint. It's also a former Liverpool player in the last 10 years. Uh, Luis Suarez, who Suarez, had 21. Suarez, 13, 14. Yep, yep. Mm. Yeah. Uh, JJ, I have very little to say about City and Wolves. I just needed to mention that what, what Raul Jimenez did was just – it was. I don't. I don't think we have a devunling category for brainless moment of the season. But if we did, this is the leader in the clubhouse for the way he was sent off in this game. Dis- disappointing when a, a veteran leader, a senior pro, acts in that way. Um, yeah, it was so silly to be sent off for effectively dissent, um, refusing to to follow the referee's instruction, but just for nothing. Just pettiness. Yeah. Um, very, very silly. I, I felt bad for Wolves, though, because I think, and even Manchester City fans would say that the penalty given against João Moutinho was, um, I don't think it was a penalty, to be honest with you. It's a I think tough it one. Hits him, uh, I think it hits him up in the armpit. I, not, not for me, Jeff, um, but it was given. And uh, and City, on the, probably on the balance, have played definitely on the balance play deserve to win so by the way with that penalty Raheem Sterling becomes the eighth youngest player 27 years three days to reach 100 career Premier League goals um, and he's done it with only two penalties you know most of the other guys on that list uh, were are guys who do take penalties um, so like I, I give Sterling credit because I don't know that like I don't know that he's identified as some kind of pure goal scorer like when you look at the other names of, of the youngest players to get to that point it's you know Shearer Kane, Henri, Rooney, Lukaku, Robbie Fowler, Michael Owen. Like, Sterling is not, to me, that kind of player, and yet here he is. 
he's among that that list. So credit to him. He's had a fine a fine career. And then one more, JJ, we go to La Liga. Real Madrid, it looks like they could turn this La Liga season into one that's kind of void of any drama. 11-game uh, unbeaten run. They just beat Atletico. 11-game uh, unbeaten streak against Atletico Madrid uh, in La Liga. Five wins and six draws in their last 11 against them. They are starting to run away with this thing. Yes, they are. It's, um, it's an eight-point gap now. Um, and it doesn't feel like there's really a... a like, if Atletico Madrid are going to be this... Because I do think talent-wise, Atletico Madrid have the group that could potentially put up some kind of fight. But if they're going to play as poorly as they have been, then and they, and now they're buried it. in this kind of hole. Like, there's forget it. Like, they're not the challenger. So I don't know. You got to then look at Sevilla. Um, Betis had a, a big win at the weekend. Yeah. Um, but but even then, even then, it's Sevilla on thirty-four, Betis on thirty-three, and then Atleti on twenty-nine. Sociedad fallen away completely. Well, not completely, but they're on 29. And then Rayo Vallecano, Barcelona, and Valencia. Valencia ahead of Barcelona in seventh. Um, something yeah. something really weird would have to happen for this to become competitive, again, quite frankly. I mean, the, way, is, the way Benzema is playing, the way Vinicius, like he is now taking that leap into the elite of Europe. Um, that you know we've kind of seen building the last couple of years. He's doing it now. I saw he's assisted on nine of Benzema's 18 goals in all competitions. Uh, it's clicking. It's clicking for this Real Madrid side. And it, Benzema, Benzema's volley, he took it so well. Yeah. The technique was so good. It was really, really great. And Barca drawing with Asasuna. Um, yeah, just does Christian Pulisic want to join the eighth best team in uh, in wow. Spain? Oh wow, that's for sure. Before we get to the mailbag, here's your weird stat of the weekend. Uh, and it has to do with Real Madrid. Ferlan Mendy has only lost one out of 51 La Liga matches in which he has played as a starter. His only loss as a starter came January 30th earlier this year against Levante, 2-1. Oh, that's it's kind of the of opposite. Record. It's the opposite of that Gareth Bale stat from when he started out at Spurs. When uh, I'm trying to remember how many games they went with him starting where they didn't win. It was, was it like 20, 25, something crazy like that. But this is, yeah. Yeah, this is the opposite of that. Before we go to the mailbag, we yeah. should mention that... Uh, just quickly, that uh, Chelsea and Leeds uh, played out a really uh, feisty game. And so if any of you thought that uh, during Leeds' long absence from the Premier League and then no fans in the ground last season when they played each other, uh, no, Leeds still hate Chelsea and <laughs> Chelsea still hate Leeds. So th- that was, in a world gone mad, it's nice to have that constant. Uh, let's see, mailbag, JJ, what do you got? Um, caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com is the email caughtoffside ESPN on the instawebs and on twitter at cosoccerpod people number of people have been asking about our thoughts on uh, I suppose Joshua Kimmich's regret uh, and his comments on COVID so Kimmich is going to be out he's not going to be back till January as he is recovering from the effects of contracting COVID uh, COVID-19 he had um, he talked about having inflections or, or I don't know I, don't know what the term is, but lung issues, and uh, and now he is uh, posting some regret over his decision not to get the vaccine. Now, this is from RTE. Um, this is Kimmy speaking broadly. It was just difficult for me to deal with my fears and concerns, and that's why I remained undecided for so long. Maybe I had to go through what I have now gone through first. Of course, looking back, I would like to make the vaccination decision earlier, but at the time, it wasn't possible for me. Kimmich revealed in October he was unvaccinated and the club came out in support of the player, a move that triggered a storm of criticism 
across Germany. See, this one for me, I, I with the amazing medical um, access that, that top professional sports people have, you know, I would have thought that this would have been, you know, someone like as high profile as Joshua Kimmich wouldn't have been a, a vaccination holdout, Andrew. I mean, we've seen a lot of high profile vaccination mm. holdouts. I don't. Yeah. So when, when you have access to these amazing doctors, it just and this medical care it just seems strange to me. I mean, but it, Aaron Rodgers you know, was consulting with Joe Rogan, like people. Yeah. Uh, so uh, just because he's an athlete, I, I don't know. I don't. I'm not entirely clear what he means when he says um, he would like to make. He would have liked to have made the vaccination vaccination decision earlier, but at the time it wasn't possible for me. I don't know what that means. I don't know why it would be impossible yeah. for him to have made the decision. I kind of don't if, know either. If I could speak to him, I would ask for clarification on that. Yeah. I mean, look, this is super polarizing for whatever reason. Uh, I am pro-vaccine, hardcore pro-vaccine. Pro I think I, I just, for me, I believe that's the way out of this. Like, yeah. I just think that's that's sure. the only road out. Sure. Um, but I don't know. Everyone has their reasons. People who have, you know, there are people who may be allergic to ingredients in it. I don't know. I. I but it's, it's over. Hard, it's hard to judge, but it's. It's frustrating when you see situations like this because Kimmich is not the only one who at some point has come forward and said, I wish I had done it sooner. And yeah. it's frustrating how many more of those do we have to hear. But but we've, we're learning that the effects of it, it, I mean, it depends on the person, but you know, there was there were Stade Francais rugby players back in August 2020 who had discovered they, were, they had lesions on their lungs after contracting COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seems, just seems so unnecessary. Um, I retweeted a picture... Uh, <laughs> And some people wanted context, Andrew. Like me. I saw this and I would like some as well. Yes. John Bruin put up a picture of the Newcastle dressing room with uh, Miggy Amaran and uh, all their players looking very, including manager Eddie Howe, looking very, very happy and kind of posing for a photo in the locker room with their fists clenched, shouting. And and it looks like a very happy photo. And um, John posted it uh, over the the weekend. Um, I've got Newcastle, of course. Um, lost this weekend. Yeah, um, did they to, ever? To Leicester, 4-0. Um, another tale of a penalty. In fairness, I don't think the uh, the the penalty that was given for Madison, I thought it was a dive, but never never mind. Leicester were the better team. They won 4-0. And um, that picture that I retweeted was last weekend when Newcastle got their first win of the season against Burnley. And I just... You, you, if you, I understand the galvanizing moment that was maybe for for Eddie Howe to get his first win. I, I, you could see how happy he was on the field, but it's just, aren't you better keep that in house? Don't let it leak. I guess I, we've we've talked about this before. Uh, Who was it? Arsenal had one of these that we talked about several down the years. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. They're they're in a moment of painfully well i was going to say painfully low morale for their fan base i don't know maybe that's mixed maybe because the fans seem thrilled with the ownership situation but this club could get relegated so they maybe they just need some kind of moment of like to lift spirits around this team that there's just kind of like but isn't that the win and it's not like you're not on camera being very happy with the win yeah i, I don't yeah you know what i'm not going to try to mount some defense for them i don't know i'm not no. i i don't do social media really so like i don't under i don't these, there are people who just feel the need to post a lot of stuff, and 
clearly that's the mindset that they were in. They needed this out there. But maybe if you get, yeah, I don't get it either. But whatever. Maybe if you get four or five wins in a row and you're out of the, you know, you've achieved your aim of getting out of the relegation zone. Maybe then you'd do it. But even then, they're 19th, Andrew. You're right. It's not for us. Like I've talked about this stuff with Manchester United and some of the stuff that they tweet. It's not. It's not for you and me. Or it's for fans of that team. So I'd have to ask a Newcastle fan. When you saw that, were you like, "Yes, let's go," or were you kind of just like, "What are you guys doing?" I don't know. I'd be curious what a Newcastle fan. And it's just so easy to take photos now. If that was back in the day, it would have been. There would have been some effort would have to go into taking a photo. Now it's not the case. It's just there's your phone. Have at it, and making it easy, kind of. Yeah, it's not. It's just a bad look, and I actually laughed a lot. Um, Spotify 2021 unwrapped, Andrew. Uh, I meant to talk about this last week, but it was staggering uh, how many listeners let us know how much time they've spent listening to us. Not that listeners listen to us, but how much time they've actually spent doing this. It's a lot of hours in our company. I've been I, pondering that. I, just, I mean, I think that's great. I love I that. Think it, I love it. I love it. But I worry about, you know. Well, I don't worry about it because I think about myself and, you know, I like I listen to podcasts when I'm on my commute, when I'm like doing stuff around the house, like that's, that's what I do. So I'm sure I spend an equal number of hours with my, like, you know, I've got my set routine of, okay, on Monday I download this one, Tuesday, this one. That. Yeah. So I get it. And I think it's awesome. I um, think it's awesome. Too, I know the Anna. connection that I feel to the podcasts that I listen to. And I think it's, it's almost surreal to me that people have that connection with us. I, I think it's really, really cool. I love it. No, it, it, it is cool. And I, I just wanted to, I suppose I want, not that I'm, weirded out or shocked by it i, I should just say that uh, thank you to everyone oh yeah I mean, oh my god I mean, yeah it does mean a lot and if you really love us leave a review on itunes five stars thanks <laughs> <laughs> and finally jonathan you'll have to help me negotiate this one andrew because i don't know if i'm missing it it came in this morning mm-hmm. dear andrew and jj help me i'm a red bull fan a new york red bull fan and a chivas fan oh. chivas guadalajara oh. <laughs> in the course of about 36 hours i watched both nycfc and club atlas win the titan in the respective leagues I feel bummed by this. It feels similar or worse to watching my teams lose their own respective playoff games. Am I wrong for being upset with my intercity rivals winning? Is this normal sports fandom or am I misplacing my energy on the wrong thing here? Talk me through this, please. Much confused and sad. Jonathan, Jonathan, there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. We, we hate it when our friends become successful, as Morrissey sang. We hate it when rival football teams our direct rivals do well. Isn't that a normal thing? There's nothing wrong with, with feeling anger over this. Let me tell if you, you guys, if you're giant, and, there's nothing wrong with it. Trust Andrew, me. Andrew, when the Giants won the Super Bowl yeah. in 2012, uh, and probably in uh, the 2000, in 2008 as well, it, it sickened, Andrew. So I was the, sickened for that second one because the first Super Bowl was crazy. It kind of like happened out of nowhere. When the Giants won that one, they beat the undefeated Patriots. Like that one was just whatever, unbelievable, insane. The second one though, I was like, this can't happen again. This it just can't. And so we actually hosted a Super Bowl party, and it was mostly my friends who are Eagles fans who are uh, were very much of like mind Hate on this. And uh, there was one Giant fan who was there, and by herself. And when it ended, in the uh, corner, when it ended, I I remember it was all of us Eagles fans uh, who we had looks on our face as though the Eagles had just lost that Super Bowl. 
And I remember hearing her kind of whisper to Amanda, my wife. She was like, I just remember her saying, I can't believe how upset they are about us. Like, this is this is how sports, if you're an obsessive, diehard fan of a team, like, you embrace all parts of that. And part of that is hating other teams. Sports hate, not real hate. I don't actually I hate look- the guys on the Giants or, or Arsenal or Chelsea or whatever. Um, yeah, you do. But this is this is just part of it. Like, I'm, you know, I was sickened overseeing that yeah so it's but, totally but think of it, these feelings are totally normal this is like atlas's first win in 70 years so well, chivas all- put out an unbelievable spiteful tweet after it happened did they uh, yeah did, did you not see this no i didn't so they um they basically had like their their logo their club crest and under it was kind of like a shadow of all the trophies they've won Oh. And then, like, filled in were the two that, I guess, Atlas have now won to kind of show that, like, you're oh. nothing. You've done Ugh. nothing compared to what we've done. Like, oh. <laughs> it's like, wow, that is – okay, that's the route we're going to take. That's um, um, that's what Liverpool used to do uh, – um, well, not Liverpool FC, but Liverpool fans would, like, say to United when they were just ticking off the Premier League trophies, we'd yeah. be like, you're forever in our shadow. How'd that go? Fight- all right, okay. How'd that go? What kind of a that's not that's not a helpful comment. But um, but the point being, to go back to it, like Atlas haven't won in seventy years, so they've always been your little brother. It's akin to Manchester City winning the title in twenty twelve on the last day, and United. Well, it's actually not as bad as that, but it's it it's still you know you've always had the upper hand, and now the tables have turned. It's not nice. You almost have to respect. They won't even let Atlas have this moment. <laughs> They tweeted it right away. Like, I mean, that is real. That's a that's real hate. That's yeah, real hate. And, and also don't forget the early days of the of the New York the Hudson uh, River Derby, like the Red Wedding. Remember, remember the seven the seven nil. Oh yes. Uh, oh, I was there for that. That's one. Of, that's the best MLS game I've ever been at at Yankee Stadium. And the, you know, at that point, the Red Bulls probably thought. Ah, this won't happen anytime soon for these guys. We are the kings. And they've been 26 years trying. They don't have an MLS Cup within, what, six, seven years of, of their formation. The Red, uh, NYCFC have their have their first MLS Cup. So, yeah. Jonathan, the way you're feeling is completely normal. Yeah. Completely normal. These feelings are all very normal. Yeah. don't You don't even need to talk to your to your therapist no. about this. Well, hey, good stuff. This was uh, this was a lot of fun as we put MLS uh, and the season to bed. We put it to bed. We we give it a, a nice long rest. And now we really enter the festive period, JJ. Oh, very much so. Although I, I, it feels as if it started like the week before last with with the midweek game. Kind of, but now, yeah, now we're really like matches stacked on top of matches with certain matches that are going to be postponed that we'll have to get Now made up. you are watching so many matches that you need your hamstring to be massaged. Yeah, that's that's the level of what we're talking about. So we will, yeah. of course, be all over it in the weeks to come, uh, as we always are. Thanks to Grant Wall. Check him out, grantwall.com. There's so much good content there, so uh, give it a, a good look. JJ, this was fun, man. To you, I say. Take it later, fun boy. I'll see you. Take care, Andrew. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 